Happy Monday, listeners of Liberty. And before we get into today's interview with Joshua Childress, I want to tell you about an awesome concept, an awesome program called Health Excellence Plus. This is one of our first sponsors, and they are an incredible free market alternative to our standard corporatized, government-manipulated, government-regulated health insurance. And if you are just sick of dealing with health insurance, with high deductibles, with the Obamacare mandates, you have to check out Health Excellence Plus. I recently did an interview with a co-founder, Jeff Cantor. I will post that over at lionsofliberty.com slash health, where he really digs into the specifics of this program. A lot of you have had questions about it. A lot of you are in an open enrollment period uh, with your work or what have you and have some decisions to make. So I implore you to check out Health Excellence Plus. They do not have an open enrollment period, by the way, so you can sign up with them all year long. But I know for many of you, you are in a situation uh, based on the government and corporatized rules that you have to choose their healthcare services within this small window. So while you're weighing your options, you must check out Health Excellence Plus. You will be shocked at how much money you can likely save, depending on your situation, of course. So you can find that all at lionsofliberty.com health. And I will also post the link over in today's show notes, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 429. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right. My guest today is a veteran of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars and a former Border Patrol agent. He has since quit the Border Patrol and become a passionate voice speaking out against our current border policy. I first heard him on Thaddeus Russell's unregistered podcast some time ago, uh, and I'm pleased to welcome him here today. He is Joshua Childress. Joshua, are you ready to roar? You bet. Let's do this. Awesome, my man. Now, uh, Joshua, I think a lot of our listeners have, have possibly heard you on some other shows uh, on, on on the aforementioned Unregistered with Thaddeus Russell. I know you've been on a, a Pete Quignone show, Free Man Beyond the Wall, a couple of times. Uh, but what I really want to get into you first with is uh, kind of where you were before you got into even the Border Patrol or, or even a soldier, really. I'm kind of curious how, what your political thoughts were when you were younger and then kind of maybe what sent you down the path to joining the military and eventually joining the Border Patrol. What what really inspired that that part of your life wow there's a lot there yep take it um, away you got all we got all the time in the world <laughs> <laughs> i uh so i i come from a very blue collar upbringing i guess i guess you could say my dad was a carpenter my mom you know had some jobs here and there but uh it was largely just a homemaker uh i say just a homemaker i'm gonna catch some feminist shit for that but um <laughs> Uh, and if anyways, you didn't catch it for that, you're definitely going to catch it for feminine, for saying feminist shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they'll get you one way or the other. Um, but I, I like feminism. It's all cool. Uh, so, yeah, so I was raised uh, kind of in small towns. We moved a lot, my dad, you know, due to my dad's job. And we ended up in a, a tiny, tiny little town in Colorado. Uh, that's where I ended up going to high school. And God, there was nothing there. There's just, it's beautiful, um, really nice people. And, I looked at the people that were sticking around and like the ones that didn't go to college, they'd stick around and get a job. And I was just like, that's not what I want for my life. <laughs> but I had kind of, I mean, I'd, I'd always done well in school, but I just had no interest in it. So by the time I had, you know, by the time my senior year came around, there was no prospect for scholarship or anything like that. And so 
the recruiter showed up and was like, Hey, we'll get you out of here. <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay. So there wasn't like, a, uh, it wasn't a patriotic deal at all. It was, uh, it was necessity. It was, I didn't want to stay there. I wanted to get, I wanted to go somewhere where I couldn't leave. It was a ticket out of town essentially. Right. Right. If I, you know, if I would have gone to college, say I could, I could take out loans and, uh, well, I, I can always just turn tail and run. Right. You can't do that in the army. So it was kind of a, you know, I knew myself well enough to know that, uh, that, that they would keep me away. Was that sort of an, an intentional way to box yourself in to sort of force yourself to commit by joining up with someone that was going to force you to commit what kind of whether you wanted to or not? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, it was 99. So it was, I, I joined in, in 99 and there's no horizon of war as far as I could see. So I thought I'm going to go get some job training. I, I was a welder. You know, that was my, my job skill that I learned maybe, in the army. Maybe I'll learn to shoot at the, I'll shoot some more at the range and, you know, oh, God, do yeah. some exercises. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. I got paid to work out every day. It was, it was kind of a sweet gig. I, they sent me to Korea was my first duty station and, you know, it was still peacetime. It was very peaceful there. So, I mean, we went out every night. It was, it was great. And obviously, uh, yeah, obviously that changed uh, a couple of years later. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. As far as like philosophically, I mean, I, my father was uh, very, very conservative, you know, and I, I, I would work with him over the summers and we listened to Rush Limbaugh, uh, G Gordon Liddy, Dr. Laura, very, very right wing. That was my first kind of exposure to politics, but I loved it. I really, really enjoyed hearing the, you know, hearing the concepts and the ideas and everything. So, you know, I kind of ate it up. But being a, a rebellious young man that I was, I left home and just threw it all out the window. <laughs> um, you know, I was into uh, kind of alternative music, punk rock, uh, some hip hop stuff like that. So kind of countercultural stuff anyways. And, you know, once I was out on my own, that's just really, really what I gravitated towards was I didn't really hang out with other army dudes. I'd go and like find a coffee shop and like hang out with the other punks and the the raver kids and like the, you know, beatniks and it just, just kind of anybody that was like not normal. I wanted to be around. So that was, that was kind of where I found myself early on in life. And, uh, so my, my first real, um, exposure to libertarianism, uh, cause I would come home on leave and talk to my dad about all these new po political ideas I've been finding. And, right. you know, I called myself a liberal and uh, he's like, you know, I don't, I don't think you're as much a liberal as you are a, a libertarian. So I looked it up and I thought, okay, well, that, that, that does fit pretty well. So I started reading a little bit. And uh, so the pendulum's gone back and forth on that throughout my life. It's, it's very far in one direction right now, but. Yeah. Um, so this is before you really firmly held those views. You were just like kind of researching it. You heard the word, your dad said you're this and, you know, the ideas started to seep in, but you weren't by any means sort of a, a hardcore libertarian at that point, I would say. Right, right. And I wouldn't, I didn't even know what it meant. You know, like right. the economics of it didn't even come into to my views till much later. It was more like, oh, I want to do whatever, I, you know, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. <laughs> I must be a libertarian. Right. Um and I, I read a lot of Robert Heinlein early on. Oh, yeah. So that, that was, that was kind of rather when everybody else was reading like Bastiat and everything like that, I was reading Heinlein and I was like, okay, this is my, this is my political philosophy. Right. right. 
So how did things change for you um, when you first heard about 9-11, when you first started getting new orders that were probably way off base of what you originally thought you were going to be doing uh, in the military? What, what was that whole experience like? God, it was strange. So just on, on that day, I, I had just been sent back you know, to our headquarters from our motor pool to pick up some paperwork and happened to walk into the, the office as, you know, and it's on TV and I'm watching it go down and I'm just like, okay, things are, it was just like very clear. Things were, things had just changed. And every, on everybody's faces, they were like, go back, tell your guys what happened. Tell them like, we're, you know, basically we're getting ready. Mm -hmm. um, and we didn't actually right away. Um, we were, I was in a, I was a welder for a, a, an artillery unit. There wasn't a whole lot of use for our type of artillery in Afghanistan. So we didn't go to Afghanistan right then. And then, but I mean, a, a, immediately it was like, come and go as you please, just show up to work was, was our mindset then. Overnight, it was like, we have 24-hour guard rotations on base and there's lines to get in and out of the base because there's like super tight security now and you have to actually show your ID to get in. And, and it was just overnight, things completely shifted and never <laughs> went back to the the way they were before. We know from your story, of course, that uh, in your time as a border patrol agent, we all know you started to question that uh, eventually and eventually quit. But I'm curious, in your time in the military, was there, were there points where you started to question that mission as well? Or, or were you not really you know, at that point yet? So going to Iraq, I was, I mean, I was, you know, I was pretty deep into punk rock and, and very skeptical about everything, especially everything government related. And I hated the military. I thought it was a stupid, it's like the most inefficient way to do anything. Uh, it, it really is just a, a you mean dumb. bombing things isn't the best, isn't the most efficient well, way to from the ground <laughs> up problems. I mean, right. Just like, you know, I think Einstein said something to the effect of like, I have no respect for any man that marches in columns and rows, like just from the minus, just the way that they walk across the street and everything that they do, it's just inefficient and stupid. And it's kind of a, an interesting juxtaposition between your interest and love of punk rock, because what's less punk rock than, than being in the military and lining up in roles right. and following orders? I mean. Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that that part of me blossomed at, at very much the wrong time. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the, or maybe but, the right time <laughs> or the right time. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, walking around the barracks in, in like plaid and spikes and steel cap boots, you get some some looks, especially from the higher ups. Um, but anyway, so back to, yeah, when I found out I was going to Iraq, I was like, I just assumed, okay, yeah, weapons of mass destruction, we got to go do this. So I guess I was mo mostly along for the ride. And honestly, I, I, I cringe looking back a little bit now, but I was just like, I'm, I'm a part of history. Like, I'm going to go experience a part of history. I was very excited about that. I have always not, well, not always. I was, I was kind of a puss growing up, honestly, <laughs> but, um, you know, being in the military and kind of pushing myself a little bit, I, I did, you know, develop a thirst for like excitement and adventure. So uh, the idea of flying around the, the world and going to a foreign place and like seeing something brand new that most people will never see, that was very exciting to me. Um, and I went and it was very, it was a very not exciting deployment. I mean, we got mortars launched at us on a fairly regular basis, but they were very inaccurate and nothing even got close. So it was just like, you got used to it and it was a pretty, I mean, there were neat parts about it, but so I went 
And I mean, I only spent five or six months there. And then my, they, I was supposed to be getting out, but they held on to me just to, to go to the, to, to go on the deployment. Mm -hmm. And then once, you know, quote unquote, the mission was accomplished, you know, when, when the president stood on the, the ship and said, you know, mission accomplished. We're all good. <laughs> yeah. Those of us that weren't considered essential, we could go home. So I left and I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really think that much about it. And then it was, a, you know, I got out, went, you know, just went to work. And then a few years later, I was like, wow, these, <laughs> these wars are still sure, sure going on. Right. Didn't we accomplish that mission? I could have right. sworn we were told. So there was a bit of me that looked at that and I thought, well, you know, these guys that I, that I liked, you know, that I liked hanging out with and that, you know, that I've served beside, they're still over there. They're still going back. And I only did that one little time. So I could, there was like a part of me that just felt like I needed to do more, you know? So that's when I, I joined the national guard. I, I found out that the Arizona guard was going to Afghanistan. And I, I mean, I literally joined it to go to Afghanistan. Hmm. Uh, I mean, cause I knew they were going right away and they're like, well, it's a six year contract. I'm like, well, I'll just ride the other five years out. <laughs> that's fine. Wow. Um, but uh, so I did, I, I went to Afghanistan and um, I, I reclassed to infantry. So I wasn't just a welder. Um, I was actually out going on patrols and, and stuff like that. And still it wasn't all that exciting. It wasn't what I was looking for. You know, I kind of wanted that excitement. I wanted to experience that, uh, that oh, oh crap moment of like, am I going to live or die? And, you know, there were some kind of scary parts, but it, 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 it never materialized to be the, the, you know, the Hollywood version of it that I was seeking. Right. Right. Was Luckily. That, so was that like somewhat disappointing in a way? Like, was it not as exciting as you thought it would be? And- uh, it was, it was, it, I mean, part of it was the, you know, the excitement that was lacking, but also part of it as previously stated, it's a horribly ineffic- inefficient machine. Right. So, we had a really good group of guys in my platoon and we, I mean, we could have accomplished a fair amount of things, but our, our chain of command was just so scared to do anything, mm-hmm. scared to get involved in, any, in anything. So they basically shot down any, any missions that we proposed. So we, we more or less walked around a lot and like showed a presence was what we, you know, uh, you know, like a show of force or a presence patrol, like basically just showing people, Hey, we're here. Don't forget that we're here. Um, so it, a lot of it just felt like wasted time. Um, and there was, you know, I'm, I'm analyzing everything all the time. Yeah, I'm sure. So there were, there were definitely points where I'm, you know, sitting on my cot thinking like, yeah, I don't really blame these guys that are like shooting rockets at us and like taking pot shots at us. Like, hmm if they came to Colorado or they came to Arizona and, and set up shop and, and march through my streets, I'd be taking shots too. So like, right. I don't it's like that, uh, that famous Ron Paul speech where he says, you know, what if there were Chinese troops in Texas, how would we respond if we if the right. same thing was reversed? Right. Um, so there was that, but I'm also a little stubborn. So, you know, in my mind, well, just because my little national guard unit was a little inefficient and not doing things the best way, well, that just means special operations. Those guys, they go in bed with the locals. They go and like 
work with the locals and find out the nitty gritty. And like, they find, they get the good intelligence and they're the ones that are actually getting stuff done. So that was what I decided to do. Um, instead was start trying out for, for that. So you still sort of had the Hollywood image in in your mind of that, of that side of things of like the special forces side. Right. And I'll, I'll say this. I was single, no kids, no wife. Mm -hmm. It, It was just me. So it was like, it was, you know, I had the luxury of making all these reckless decisions. Right. Um, so that was basically when I got back from Afghanistan, I, I worked for like a year and I wanted to go back to school. So I went back to school full time. Uh, you started using my GI bill and, but I also started training to try out for, for special operations. Um, national guard has a, a kind of a, a pathway to do that. Um, and then you have opportunities to go active if you want to, but anyway, so I was, I was, training for that, going to college. And I just happened to put in a, an application with the, the border patrol off of the advice of uh, a buddy of mine. He's like, yeah, he, he did it for his civilian job. He was in the guard too. And he's like, yeah, I think you'd really like it. You know, if you like being outdoors, you like guns, um, it's kind of exciting sometimes, but you're basically on your own. You know, you don't really have anybody telling you what to do. And I thought, Oh, cool. That sounds interesting. So I, <laughs> I put the application in and and kind of forgot about it. I mean, it was, it's a really long hiring process. It took close to two years um, before I actually got a job offer from the point that I, that I put my application in. So um, I, I, you know, I'm going to college and it's time to either sign up for the next semester, um, go do my tryout for the special forces or, take this job offer from the border patrol mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's no, like there was no patriotism or, you know, love of country or anything built into this decision. It was literally just, well, if I go to the border patrol and they don't, I don't like it, army and college are still going to be there. Right. So, it's not like the army where they're going to keep you in, you know, you get a job, you can quit like any other job. Right. Right. So it was just, it was, you know, purely, just a, a logical uh, deduction. Mm-hmm. And so I did went for it. Did you have any it. thoughts going in? Like, did you have any like political ideas or philosophical ideas about immigration, about borders? Was this, was this even something on your radar? Well, so in, you know, in between my time in the, the army and the national guard, I, you know, I mostly worked construction and we didn't have podcasts then. So really the only <laughs> thing there was, was talk radio. Cause I, you know, there, I did I don't really, you know, there was none of the music that they played on the radio was my kind of thing. So talk radio was the only thing I had. So, I mean, my only real opinions of immigration policy came from what Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck had to say, which was basically, you know, well, legal immigration is good. Mm -hmm. Illegal is bad. You know, stop the terrorists, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that was kind of my, I mean, I didn't have really strong feelings one way or the other. It was just like, well, the job needs to be done. May as well be me. Right. So you're going to, into this with the job, maybe with a, a vague idea about immigration or borders, but it doesn't sound like something that was a major issue you thought about. And then, no. so what, what was day-to-day life like as a border patrol agent? Like what was a typical day like? How often were you actually encountering like literal, you know, immigrants that you had to actually physically, you know, I don't know if you're chasing them down on foot or, or what? What, what, what was that experience like? Or how often was it maybe just kind of boring, like just sitting around and, and um, waiting. So I went to Yuma 
And Yuma was in like 2005, 2006, 2007 being completely overrun. I mean, it was a madhouse. There, you, you can go on YouTube and see videos of like, you know, just groups and groups of people just rushing across. And then so that's when George W. Uh, decided to take action and went down to Yuma and got all the fences built. And, you know, by 2008, all the fencing and everything was built. And, and uh, you know, they called it, they got it under control. So, you know, activity kind of died off and they thought, oh, we won, you know, <laughs> we solved the problem because their apprehensions just went from like hundreds a day to like a few a week. Um, now, and that was like, that's kind of the story that they told us as we were coming in. They're, you know, giving us the history of, of Yuma Station and they're telling us that. And I don't remember when it was, but somewhere along the way, I was like, they're all coming here for jobs. And in 2008, something happened with all of our jobs here in America. Yeah. Uh, maybe the fence didn't do as much as we thought it did. Maybe it was uh, there stopped being jobs for them to come over to look for. It. <laughs> um, so basically, you know, they did, they put up the fencing. And if you just look at that section of the pie, that slice uh, where Yuma operates, um, yeah, apprehensions did go down. But if you look at the stations to the east and the stations to the west, their apprehensions probably w went up a little bit. They just found, you know, a different weaker point to, to come through. Right. Or a longer, more dangerous, you know, section of desert to right. cross through. Now, now, some people might, might hear this and regardless of their thoughts on immigration might be thinking, oh, so wall, walls do work, you know, fences do work. So what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think this is uh, if, you know, the uh, moral part aside for a moment is that kind of thing an effective way to stem illegal immigration? Um, immigration it is effective to a point. Um, so I, I like to use San Luis as a kind of a, a metric. And, you know, it's, it's in the very corner of the state of Arizona, the southwest corner. Um, and in that little corner of the state, there are three layers of fencing. There's a really, you know, one of those really tall fences. And then there's, uh, maybe 50 yards and then another tall fence and then just enough room for a vehicle to drive through and then a chain link fence. So there's three fences right in a row and they have to get over all three of those to get into the neighborhood, which is like a, a football field away. Um, so if I'm working in San Luis, Arizona on the West side, I've got less than a minute. If somebody comes over that fence, the first fence, I've got less than a minute to get from wherever I am to there to apprehend them. So those fences generally bias that minute. Gotcha. Um, so it can be effective to a degree. Now that's where, you know, that's where the, the, you know, the closest neighborhood is. Now, if you start going up the North side of the, of the border and the neighborhood's a little bit farther away and there's not as much visibility on them, they have, cut through the fence with torches, axes. Um, there's uh, this mesh that I've seen that they've broken through with screwdrivers, um, uh, cordless saws. In the time that I was there, there were two tunnels discovered in that little, you know, little like two mile section. So like two underground, underground, underground tunnels, fences, right. two tunnels in six years had been discovered. Now, how many of them 
haven't been discovered. Right. Um, so they they are effective to a degree, especially around populated areas. But if you're talking about like a wide open area, which you know, the, if they're saying they want a wall or a fence along the whole border, if you're talking about a wide open area, some of those places that's a three or four day trek from the border up to a highway. Right. So if if it takes them 45 seconds to get over the fence you've delayed their four day trek by 45 seconds and you've spent <laughs> billions of dollars to do it. Right. So it just like, there's parts where it just doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and there's parts where depending on your view, it makes a little bit of sense to get a little bit of control. Hold your horses, kitty cats. I have to jump in here for one second and tell you about another great libertarian podcast. And this one is not your typical podcast. This one doesn't really focus so much on the ideas of liberty, but on music. And who doesn't love music in some form or another? I I guess some people don't, but who really wants to know those people anyway? Let's be honest. Anyway, the show is aptly titled Sounds Like Liberty. Sounds Like Liberty is hosted by Liberty's favorite nerdy husband, Nick Pacone, and his wife, Lizzie. They speak to guests every single week to find out who has the best music taste here in Ancapistan. And uh, the Lions of Liberty have actually been on the show, at least a good number of us. Myself, uh, Brian McWilliams, and Howie Snowden have all been on Sounds Like Liberty. We're still waiting for the John Oderman episode, uh, but uh, we're not actually sure if John listens to music because we already know he doesn't watch movies. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and go on over to ancapmusic.com and check out Sounds Like Liberty or just search Sounds Like Liberty on your favorite podcatcher. That's all I do. I I stick completely to the podcatchers, but Sounds Like Liberty is an excellent show and really does a great job of merging culture, music, and liberty together. I highly recommend this program. If that wasn't enough, the show is co-hosted by an African-American female ANCAP. I mean, what, what more could you ask for? And by the way, Nick did tell me to say that in the ads (laughs) do check out sounds like liberty go to ancapmusic.com right now to learn more what were your interactions with immigrants like like the immigrants that you apprehended did did you know i don't know how much you actually like spoke to them i I guess there's probably a lot of a language barrier but i'm just curious like did you learn anything new that maybe you know taught you something about what a lot of these people were going through and the reasons they were coming over that maybe you hadn't thought of before oh yeah yeah well um like i said I, i worked construction um between my time in the military and uh you know as you as you might be able to imagine a lot of the my co-workers were immigrants mm-hmm. um in that field and most of them were super nice guys and pleasure to work with and you know hard workers all that stuff uh, so I, I think over time i started to see those guys that i had worked with previously in these people that I were catching. So, you know, in muster every day, you know, they, they like to harp on, well, you know, last night so-and-so caught this guy and they, they took him back to processing and he had a rap sheet a mile long and, you know, he'd been convicted of murder previously, or he, you know, he's a rapist or this or that. So they really highlight those cases where there are actual bad guys. Um, So that's, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it and say that like, well, you know, everybody's just like skipping across the border with flower petals dropping behind them. Like, <laughs> no, there are some bad guys. Right. Um, there's like, there's like, there's still dudes that I'm like, I remember like looking at them and seeing dead eyes and just being like, man, I hope that dude doesn't fight back. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 
you know, there's some scary dudes down there. But there's Did you also have times when people would physically resist, or did people generally say, "Okay, I'm, I'm caught by Border Patrol. Like, I know that I can't fight most my way of, out of this." Or... Most of the time, uh, they were they they were like, "Yeah, you got me." Like, right. pretty compliant. Um, and even the times where they kind of like they'll test the waters a little bit, like they'll buck up a little bit, and as long as you just like, you know maintain aggressiveness with them and let them know like, no, you're not getting, you know, you're not getting the better of me today. It it usually fizzles out pretty quick. Um, I think in the time that I was there, there was one shooting. uh, One of the agents ended up shooting um, a guy that he was a guide and had a huge criminal history. So if he would have gotten caught, he would have spent some serious time. When you say Um, he was a guide, he was like guiding other people across the board. Yeah, he was guiding others um, and the group, his group had gotten caught and he was trying to make his way back to Mexico. And so so another agent. Immigrants will kind of get together and hire someone that sort of leads them in the best way across the border and sort of make sure they get there and then head back. Right. So that works. So that's kind of a, a, a little known part about the border, like. The, the guides, the, the, the cartels that run the, the trafficking operations, like mm-hmm. they have complete control of the border. Like if they have, there's headhunters who like patrol around there, you know, on the me- Mexican side, looking for people who didn't pay. And oh, wow. if you didn't pay, like you either cough it up or you're, you're just going to, you know, they're going to take care of you. Would you say the con- the cartels control that side of the border more than you guys control to your side of the border? Well, yeah, they don't have any rules. <laughs> so, right, yeah. I mean, you're, you're not just going to kill their family if they right. you know, for coming over. They're just going to get arrested and, and what happened. Right. If we, I actually, I, sh- I shouldn't say this because it might give some people ideas, but like if, yeah, if we were completely ruthless and bloodthirsty, we probably could gain control of the border, you know, over at some point. Right. But um, yeah, I don't foresee us ever. I hope, that day never comes. You know, so, so that begs the question that I mean, obviously uh, I, I bet most of these people coming over would rather not deal with cartels would rather, rather not, you know, interact with these people that are, that are obviously violent and can, you know, have retribution against them if they don't pay or what have you. So what drives someone to do these things? What drives someone to take the risk of crossing the border? First of all, just the physical risk and then the added risk of dealing with cartels. Um, you know, what, why do people go through all this? What is motivating them to do so? Some people seem to think it's, uh, they just want to come here to vote Democrat, which seems like a lot of, a lot of work just to go, go vote for Democrats. I don't know if that's the motivation you've ever heard, but I'm curious, uh, what are some of the motivations that you found as you were sort of, you know, encountering these people? So every person that we catch, you know, when, when you catch somebody, um, you, you know, right when you arrest, well, you, so you have to ask them, you know, their citizenship, where they came from, why they came. And then you write down all their basic information and you, you send them back to, you know, you take them or send them back with a, a transport unit to the processing center. And that's where they do all their whole their whole case file, basically their their prosecution jacket. Um, and when you're doing that, when you're when you're assigned to processing, you've got like you know a thousand and one questions you've got to ask them, and you ask them all the same stuff. Why did you come to America? Well, I came to America because my brother-in-law lives here, and he said he could get me a job at the tire shop. Or mm-hmm. um, yeah, my kid's here; he's a citizen, but uh, you know I haven't seen him in four years, and he's he wants me to come, so I came. You know, it's it's. Literally, I mean, there's there's a limited number of stories, but like they're all kind of revolving around like I want to be with my family and I want to work, and I you know family I, and opportunity are right, the big, the big right. things. Um, and they 
they comply with the cartel because they don't have any other choice. Like they, it just doesn't. It's the only to way. Them, it doesn't make any sense to take the risk. They know, like it's just built into into their thinking. Like if I if I'm going to go do this, I have to pay the fee. Like they just don't. I, I want to drive home because a lot of people might, you know, if people that don't fully understand, maybe not listeners of this show, because a lot of people are our listeners are very smart. But uh, you know, a lot of people might hear these stories and be like, so why don't they just? do this legally you know just do it legally that's all we're asking we're just saying don't come in here legally illegally anyway don't hop our fence follow our laws do it the right way and everything should work out fine what's the problem with that with that thought process well that's what i thought too mm-hmm. so, so i go to the, the best acad- person to answer it then I, I i went to the academy um and you t- you know you you learn immigration law naturalization law you learn applied authorities which is basically how you can do your job within the confines of the fourth, the fourth amendment, especially, but the constitution as a whole, um, which I was, I mean, I was very encouraged that that was like a class that we had to take. Yeah. I mean, it's a sobering class. That, that is encouraging actually. So some like, I mean, the they, well, yeah, I mean, you never know how much you, th- you know, people throw it out the window once they get to where they're going. But sure. I, you know, as somebody that cared about that sort of thing, I was, I was, I was, a, uh, and it's taught by a lawyer. So it's not like, you know, you, you've got some, because all the rest of the classes are taught taught by agents or supervisors, um, so yeah, you learn all the classifications for all the visas and the disqualifiers and and categories and all that stuff. So you you come out of there thinking like, oh well, right. There's all these visa categories. Why don't people just take them? But you start to realize like, oh well. F- first of all, if you've got a guy who wants to come and pick lettuce in a field which that's what a lot of them just want to do. Yuma is a big agricultural area. There's tons of field work to be done. And, you know, I don't think they're ever turning people away. So if you, you take a guy and a lot of the older people that I would, you know, that we'd catch and I'd talk to them, they don't read or write. The, most of the younger ones are, are they're, they're more, uh, they know a little bit more English. They can re- read and write. Um, they're a little bit more educated, but the older ones, a lot of them don't read and write. So first of all, how are you going to fill out government paperwork to apply for a visa if you can't read or write? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, there's a barrier to, to entry right there. Right. But um, just the system is so convoluted. Just to get a work permit, you have to somehow contact an employer, get that employer to, to hiring you. Basically, yeah, commit Without to hiring you. Able to meet them. <laughs> and there's all these hoops that the employer has to jump through. Right. So it, I mean, it does happen, but it's like there's so such a high high barrier to entry. Such a it's such a difficult process for the vast majority of people that want to come. Even a tourist visa is not easy to get if you're oh, Mexican, yeah. even just to come over. And, and I guess the the reason for that being, well, we want to make sure they're not someone who's going to purposely come on a visa just to stay and then work or what, what have you because how how terrible well yeah but i mean so i did i've i since since leaving i've done a little bit of research and um so visa applications that were filed in and i don't know exactly the category of the visa but visa applications that were filed in the 90s are now being reviewed so like that's the backlog from if, if you filed a, a visa application from Mexico in the mid nineties, the, the immigration service is now getting around to, to reviewing those applications. Huh. Wow. So that's, that's, that's even crazier than I, than I thought it was. 
Oh, when I read it, I looked at it a few times and like tried to double check. How many of those people are just dead now? (laughs) Right, right. And just taken up a place in line. Yeah, or given up entirely. Yeah, or just crossed on their own because they're like, screw this, I'm not waiting. Right, right. Wow. Um, So yeah, I mean, there really is, unless you're going to marry someone, unless you're going to school here, um, unless you have a specialized skill, or I mean, there's there's a few other. It's almost impossible. Like there really is almost no legal way to do it. Right. And it took me years, years to figure that out. Yeah, but, that, that's the biggest problem. Whenever I hear this argument of just do it legally, nobody that says that can possibly actually, unless they're just being dishonest. I don't think most people are being dishonest. I think most people just don't know. They can't possibly understand how how difficult that process is. To the fact that it's in reality, it's almost non-existent. That's how difficult it is. Uh, for those people, I would say let's make it easy. Go read. Well, yeah, go read Alex Narasta. Go go read anything from Alex Narasta or David Beer at Cato. I'm or, actually getting uh, Alex on the show pretty soon as well. Uh, he's like he's been. So my biggest fear was that I was going to leave the Border Patrol, and then come across some realization that made me made me realize I made some huge mistake. Right. And uh, I was exposed to Alex Narasta after I left, and he and I actually ended up doing a, a talk together in D.C. at LibertyCon this year. Um, it was a great talk. Uh, but he has 100% solidified that I've did the right thing. <laughs> like his work is just fantastic when it comes to, to this stuff. So was it really your experiences with immigrants, like one-to-one and, and seeing them as human beings that started to make you question the, the, you know, their entire position and the entire, you know, your job overall? Well, yeah. I mean, like I, I, I always explain it or I, I describe it as like a, a gut feeling. There was a mm-hmm. gut reaction to uh, something isn't right about this. You know, I used to really enjoy, I enjoyed the chase. And then um, when we'd catch somebody, like, you couldn't wait to get them back and get their finger, fingerprints rolled to see if you got a bad one. Like, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you caught somebody. Because some could be in a database that, of yeah, criminal database yeah, or what have you. Yeah, they, you go roll their fingerprints and you find out if they've got a criminal history. And you, you always hope, like, oh, I hope I got a really bad one. Was there ever like a point system with your coworkers? Like, oh, well, making bets on who, you know, who no, picked up the just, bad ones, who picked up the good ones? <laughs> just general bragging rights. But right. um, uh, no. And then at first it was like you, you kind of start to you start to be able to tell just by, you know, body language, looking at somebody's face. Like you can tell if somebody's like, you know, wants to kill you or if they're just like ashamed that they <laughs> sure. just got caught or whatever. I, I got to so, imagine the majority of people that you catch are somewhere between just afraid or just, you know, resigned to the fact, well, I've been caught and there's, there's nothing I can do. I, I can't right. imagine you get a lot of actual, you know, violent resistance, even when you do catch a, a quote unquote real criminal. Right. Right. Those, those instances of violence are very rare. Um, and like I said, there was one shooting, one shooting incident the whole time I was there. Maybe a few times tasers were used or, or a, you know, a baton or something, but like pretty rare. When did you first start to really question your job to the point that you were like, okay, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think I have to leave. Was there a certain point in your mind that, uh, that you can pinpoint where you just started, started to go from questioning it into a point where you actually had like a moral issue with what you were doing? So the gut feeling was nagging at me, but I was like, okay, I've got a wife kids a house mm. mortgage payment 
right. um, and a career now. Like I've been doing this for several years now. And if I want to, I can buy my military time back to add towards my retirement. I'm like, am I going to throw all this away for a gut feeling? So here's, if you don't want to learn any, anything about yourself, don't ever write anything down. So here, here was my exercise. I was, and actually it, it kind of ties back to, uh, to Thad Russell. So I was going to go to Thad Russell's, um, his podcast was like my favorite when I, I listened to it at work and he was having his live event in LA. So I was, and this is while go. you still work for border patrol. So while, while I still work for border patrol. Uh-huh. Um, so even though I was having these like gut feelings about it, it was like, I still, I still clung to like, okay, well maybe we're doing it the wrong way, but yeah, we still need something, you know, we need some sort of enforcement. Like maybe what we're doing isn't exactly right, but like, we still need, you know, you still have to control immigration. Right. Maybe we can um, just do it a little better or something. Right. Like so I decided, well, okay, I'm going to write down, I'm going to write an essay. Uh, you know, I've taken English 101 and 102. I'm going to write an essay. I'm going to, you know, cite it and everything. And I'm going to build out my ideas, you know, my case for why some form of immigration control is good. Um and I started writing it and rewriting it and re- and I'm like, everything that I'm using to justify this job to myself is a phallus. Like everything is just full of holes and doesn't hold any water. So you were sort of like defeating your own argument as you attempted to write this in an honest way. <laughs> right, right. I could have just written it like, you know, like a, like a, uh, an AM talk radio host does and just like, right. Sp- you know, just kept writing and like hope that people didn't notice that it was complete bullshit. But I kept writing it. I'm like, no, this isn't, this isn't good. This is not a good argument. So I'd re I'd try to rework it. And I got to the point where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I can't even justify to myself that what I'm doing is, is the, the right thing to be doing or, you know, that there is a justification for it. So that was like, that was a kick in the guts, like took the wind out of me a little bit. So I went to Thad Russell's event um, and, you know, the first day we went around the room and said what we did for a living and I told him I was a border patrol agent and he's like, oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> he's like, well, I don't talk to cops. So <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I mean, he was mostly joking, but, um, right. you know, I kind of. I, I talked to a bunch of people there and it was, you know, an interesting time, but I didn't really get a chance to, I didn't even know what to ask him. I was like, I was just kind of in a state of confusion, Right. but he made some time to talk to me after, after the event. And like, I was like, so what's this, you know, what is open borders? What is this? You know, I keep hearing you talk about it. I hear other people talk about it. Like you, you just mean nothing, like just nothing. And he's like, well, Brian Kaplan's kind of the, the go-to guy for, for this, check out, check, check Brian, Brian Kaplan out. So I did, I went and like downloaded a bunch of podcasts and, and found YouTube videos and found papers and went to work and, and listened to it all. And that was probably, I, I would say when I realized like, Oh shit, I can't do this. <laughs> like right. I, I can't, I can no longer ignore it. Um, the unfortunate part was, I still had to come up with a plan. Like I had to, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with, with all of the moving parts I'd created, I did, I couldn't just like walk away. Right. So, um, so yeah, we, my, I, I think it was probably that day I went home and told my wife like, Hey, I don't think I can do this. And mm-hmm. She was like, wait, what? <laughs> and it was more you just like work at all or, or what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and she was supportive. It was just kind of a shock to her. She was sure. like, Wait, what? Um, and then come to find out later on, she was like, you know, I was kind of relieved when you said that uh, you weren't really into it because, you know, the way you were talking about your job in the beginning, I just never really liked it. And I'm like, huh. you should have said something earlier. Maybe you would have started. <laughs> Where were you six years ago? Or- <laughs> no, <laughs> no, she was uh, she was very supportive. And, um, it, it, you know, just having her on board made it a lot easier than it could have been. But, um, so, so what was your plan? How did you decide to transition from just leaving this job back into a, you know, I guess, uh, the regular world or whatever you want to call life outside the border patrol? Um, so that's where things get interesting. <laughs> so she, she worked from home. She, she worked for backpage.com. Mm, she, she'd worked for backpage.com like since the beginning of, uh-huh. of the, the company. And so let's see. I, I had planned to leave at the new year, uh, the, the beginning of 2018, and I chickened out um, just because I was like, well, we can save a little bit more money and uh, we can you know, buy a little bit more time. And uh, So by, what was it, March, in March, I'm getting ready for work one day and my wife comes in and she says, uh, the FBI just raided the Dallas office. I was like, well, do you think they're coming here? She's like, I don't know. I'll try to find out. So, I mean, within a week, FBI had seized Backpage and she no longer had a job. So we were going to just, you know, rely on her income, right? get moved somewhere new and I would figure it out. You know, I had, you know, I had the construction background I could fall back on and right. um, that was what we were going to do. And then, so then we had to come up with a new plan because... Um, her income source dried up. So, uh, basically, um, I just kept working and when it came time to go get my kids registered for kindergarten, um, she was like, well, I'm going to take the boys to Phoenix and get them enrolled in school. So whenever you decide to quit, we'll be there. (laughs) So, it was, I mean, because I really was like, I, as much as I hated being involved, well, and the, and the back page thing was just another, another rub for me because I was like, I'm a federal agent. Like right. I'm a, I'm a government goon. I'm a part of this big, stupid machine that just brought wow. down this company that was like a lifeline for sex workers for like Sure, because you're you're evolving here, not just on immigration, but your overall philosophy. So I imagine just like your 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 uh, your path into more libertarian way of thought. This is just yeah. another thing that, while it's a, a terrible thing for you guys to deal with, it's just another thing that confirms. Okay, I can't be involved in right. this end of things. Right, at all. right, and you know where immigration was was the the genesis of it, but it just it it got the engines going, and like yeah, I just wanted nothing to do with it anymore. The bad part is. I love the guys I worked with guys and girls like they, you know, it was, uh, it's a great culture. Like it's a great organization. They're fun. You know, these are fun people. Like, 
they're nice and and you know we hang out and and crack jokes and i wasn't ever part of the facebook group but uh <laughs> um so yeah like what, what I did would, your coworkers think when you when you said that you were i don't did you just say hey i'm quitting or where did you tell us did you have some people you were closer with that you were like hey i think i gotta gotta end this or how, how yeah I, I had a couple guys that i was uh closer to that i'd i'd vent to once in a while and i'd you know i'd make my comments my you know here and there but i never really was just like yeah i'm done with this until one day um <laughs> i mean i would go in and i'd be like all right today's the day and i'd go in and then i'd start working i'm like you know get in a conversation with somebody and be like ah, i can't do it not today not today hmm. and so then finally one day i just you know went and i was working and like halfway through the shift and i went to see my supervisor and I was like, Hey, uh, how do you quit? He's like, um, the job, like the, the border patrol. I was like, yeah. He's like, I don't know. Nobody really ever does. Uh, so I'll, let me check on that. So he called his supervisor and then his supervisor supervisor called me and was like, what is going on? Uh -huh. So I was just like, you know what? I, I just, I've, I've changed my mind. I don't really want to be involved with this anymore. I'd like to quit. He's like, well, when do you want to do this? I was like, sooner the better. Like He's like, well, um, you're, uh, it was, I was working the swing shift. So two to midnight. And, uh, he's like, you're off at midnight, right? I said, yeah. He's like, all right, we'll go home and get some sleep. Um, whenever you wake up, come in and we'll, we'll, uh, do the paperwork. So no, no resistance. No, uh, you no. know, we're going to try to keep you cause it's a job. No, and well, I mean, everybody I talked to said like, you know, all the management was like, is there anything we can do? Is there anything, you know, uh, is there like, I guess they were probably covering their butts. Like, was there, you know, was there like an incident that happened? And I was like, right, no, right. you know, I've thought a lot about this. I've made a decision. Just, just got to go. Mm -hmm. Um, my coworkers were just like, are you stupid? Like <laughs> you're giving up, this money and these benefits and this retirement for what, what? In fact, listen what? to some podcast. What? <laughs> <Right>. Well, one <laughs> of them listening to a podcaster and now you're leaving your job. What is going on here, man? One of my buddies was like, he's like, so I don't, I don't get it. What is it? I was like, look around us. Like we've got kids and women and like people locked up in glass cages, like animals, like, for no good reason. What have they, what have they done? What have any of these people done to offend anybody? Like they've not hurt anybody. They are coming because they're afraid of the conditions where they live. They want something better for themselves. They got off their asses to do it and we're stopping them. We're taking that freedom away from them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be involved with that anymore. And he said, he looks at me and he's like, you actually think about this shit when you go home? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, and it keeps me up at night. He's like, not me. I do my work, and I go home. I go home, slam a six-pack, and I'm, I'm good to go. Right. And I was like, well, how convenient for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, I think that's probably pretty representative of, of most most people's opinions. I'm kind of curious now, now that you're a very outspoken advocate, um, you know, on immigration and you, you write about this, speak about it publicly so much. Are you still in contact with any of those former workers? Do any of them, you know, have, have any of their views shifted at all? Obviously you wouldn't want to out anybody who currently has a job, <laughs> but I'm just curious how, how, if you've had any interactions with them since, since this time when you're now so outspoken about this. Um, so there's, I've kept in touch with a couple of them. Um, a couple of them tried to convince me to come back. <laughs> um, 
most like most of the people that I was closer to, they're like, hey, I think you're dumb. I think you're wrong, but <laughs> you're a good guy. I enjoyed working with you. Best of luck to you. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, I, I never went to look, but so uh, when, when I did the interview with Thad, um, Reason also did an interview with me and then, you know, made like a little uh, six minute video or something like that. Yeah. So at some point that video made its rounds back to the border patrol and that, that infamous Facebook group. Uh Um, So a buddy, one of my buddies who had been transferred to the Northern border, he called me and he's like, dude, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Why? What's up? He's like, dude, I just saw the video. I didn't even know you were like thinking anything like that. Like what, how'd that happen? So we talked for a little bit and he's like, yeah, man, I, I saw the video on, on Facebook and like, is that Childress? Like, what the? So I watched it, and then I looked down and read all the comments, and like, they were brutal. Have you seen them? I'm like, no, I, I, <laughs> not not in the Facebook group. He's like, oh man, good for you, man. That they're brutal. You don't want to see that. <laughs> so so apparently, I ruffled some feathers, but but uh, that's that's inevitable, I guess. So Josh, I guess uh, after all this journey, after all this exploration, uh, the philosophical journey, uh, leaving a, a very cush job, I'm curious what is now today your current position on immigration? Um, I mean, we we hear a lot of phrases like open borders, open immigration, but what's your very specific kind of thoughts on this? Do you think we should have like Ellis Island immigration where you just kind of show up and sign up and go in? Or do you think we shouldn't even have that? Do you think there should even be a border? What, what, where are you currently at philosophically on this? I've got two answers for you. All right. I'll take um, my one, my, my first answer is, is, and I hate the word utopian because utopia is just a dumb idea. It's not going to sure. work ever. Right. But my ideal is, yeah, pretty much your, well, Brian Kaplan just came out with a, a graphic novel called Open Borders, and it does a very good job of explaining, you know, why it's, the sky is not going to freaking fall if we do it. Um, but yeah, I, like some anarchist version of the, well, my, my talk that I did in, in DC with, with Alex Narasta, the, I forget the other participant's name, but he was, was that a video? Uh, was that something recorded? Cause I'll link to that in the show notes. No, if that, if I, that I wish I've been, I've bugged them to try to get the video released and, and nobody seems, I think it was recorded, but I've just never been able to come across the video. Um, uh, God, I wish I could remember that guy. Maybe we can Anyways. get the Lions of Liberty audience to uh, to make some noise and try to find right. the video. <laughs> so he's uh, he was a, a philosophy guy. Yeah. So somebody asked him about, you know, is this how borders have always been? And he said, well, borders traditionally have been a line of sovereignty. So they've never they 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 didn't used to really be like um, a, a keep you know a, a line to keep people out just a line to let people know like, Oh, you're no longer in that territory. You're on this side of the line. You now abide by our rules. It wasn't a barrier. It was just a, a, a signifier of a, you're in, now right. in this other place. Right. So I, I, I think that is more or less the, the way that it should be. Cause every other part of immigration that people complain about the violence, the culture, the, all the, all that kind of stuff kind of takes care of itself. Like murder is already illegal. So, mm you're not going to stop somebody from murdering them or from, from murdering just by having a border. 
like the, the, the immigration violation does not have anything to do with with violent behavior. Especially, I mean, and Alex has done a lot of work on this. I mean, if you actually look at the numbers, like you know, of murders and, and violent actions by illegal immigrants, they're they're real. That happens, but they're at a lower rate than Americans are committing the right. same crimes usually. So we're really, I mean, unless we're going to start arguing for deporting all those same Americans, then you know, where, right. where are we at? Well, that's the and he brings up the best point in that paper. He says. If you were to move all these illegal immigrants out of your community, your crime rate would rise because they're keeping your crime rate down because they commit fewer crimes. Right. So if you took all the illegal immigrants and, and even the legal immigrants out of your community, your crime rate would skyrocket because you just took the people that are holding it down <laughs> out of the out of the so, equation. Interesting way to look at it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to see um, a decentralized anarchist view of uh, come and go as you please and we'll deal with. Um, whatever else is, you know, comes along with, you know, all the baggage that you bring with you, we'll deal with that, you know, with other means, but, uh, you know, on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think a a more realistic uh, and very doable policy would be work permits for anybody who wants them. Like, Basically, if somebody shows up at the border, at, you know, at a port of entry and says, um, yeah, I'm from Mexico or Guatemala or, or El Salvador or whatever, and I want to come work for a while. Okay. Have you, you know, like make a phone call back to their village in wherever they're from and try to find out if they've ever done anything violent to anybody. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't, fine. Okay, come in and work. And here's a card that says you can do so. And you're not, you're still not eligible for benefits or anything like that. And it's not a citizenship and it's not a residency. It's just, if you want to come work, go for it. And if you decide once you're here that you want to start applying for citizenship, fine. There's a, there's a, a, a pathway for that. But I think in, in, you know, in reading stuff that, that David Beer and, and Alex Narasta have written and also just talking to many of the immigrants themselves, they don't want to come here and put down roots. Most of the, most of the people I talked to did not want to come be citizens of the United States. They wanted to come reunite with their family, work for a while and save up enough money to go buy a piece of property in Mexico. Mm -hmm. In fact, my last boss, after I left the border patrol, my supervisor for my job that I, that I took afterwards, he had a green card and he's like, I'm not going to stay here till I retire. I'm going to work here long enough to, you know, when my kids get old enough to take care of themselves and I've saved enough money that I can go back to Mexico, I'm going back to Mexico. And he goes back to Mexico every weekend. So he's a legal resident and he doesn't want to stay here. He's just here because like it makes sense to be here. Um, so I think, and in that case, if, if you have that many workers coming in, Businesses that are looking to grow right now, if they have a steady flow of, of people willing to work, well, then our economy does nothing but benefit from that. And then all those people, those American citizens that have been working at those companies the whole time, well, now management positions open up. And those people that have put in their time, they can, they can improve their lives too. So, and those same immigrants that are living here and working here are using local services. They're us- utilizing all the businesses around them. They're they're helping right. the co- economy around them by participating right. in it. Right. So I, I, I think a, a very robust 
um, worker, you know, guest worker program, combining that with ending the drug war solves about 90% of our problems. Like we're left with very little, very little to deal with. with, Plus, with if you those end the drug war, you, you take those cartels down a huge notch. I mean, they might still attempt to control the border, I'm sure, but you're, you're at least cutting off a lot of their funding. Right. I mean, that's, but if you, if you take away their funding and you take away the, the, the vast majority of their power, they got nothing. Well, there's going to be a ton of people who didn't really want to leave their homeland in the first place. If it's less violent and it's a safer place to be, they're just not going to leave in the first place. Like they're just not going to leave. So, and if, you know, fine, if they, if they want to come on in and, and, you know, in my opinion, but, um, so yeah, those are kind of my two is, yeah, I'd love to see fully open borders someday. I'd love to live in that world where people really can just have autonomy over themselves, have, you know, really make their own future. Um, but in the, in the interim, I'd, I'd be happy to see like people kind of come and go as they please. Anything better than we have now, really. Right. Right. Well, Josh, it's been awesome having you on, man. And awesome hearing your story. I think we were able to get into a few different areas that I I didn't quite hear you touch on in some of the other interviews. So I I was really glad to, uh, to have you on here and really share your, your sort of journey here into where you are now. Uh, so before I let you go though, I know, like I said, you're an outspoken advocate of this stuff. You write and speak regularly about these topics. So why don't you just let everybody out there know where they can find out more about your work, uh, how they can reach out to you or whatever info you want to give out or anything you want to plug, feel free to uh, plug away. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh D. Childress. I'm not sure um, if I even follow you on Twitter, so let me go take care of that while you, yeah, while you plug. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll look for you. Uh, that's, that's the only social media I have. Um, I, I had a, a fiction writing website that I let expire because because of all this, I haven't really been doing any work in that area. Been a little, been a little busy. Right. Uh, so I hope to get that up again someday, but for right now... Um, uh, Twitter's Twitter's kind of the best place to find me. All right. Well, Josh Childress, thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. It's been great hearing your story. Keep up the great work and keep on roaring. Thanks, Mark. All right, kitty cats. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joshua Childress, someone I've been looking to have on to talk about his journey for quite some time, and he did not disappoint. I hope you got as much value out of that conversation as I did, and I don't have much more to leave you with today except to remind you that it's not just me here on Lions of Liberty, not just me here when I bring you the flagship show every single Monday with interviews with leaders in the liberty movement with roundtable discussions, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor, even the occasional debate, all of these wonderful things. But it doesn't end there because every Wednesday, Brian McWilliams brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up on Fridays with his inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get all of this for the price of one, and that price is free. Just hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We're all over the place. However you like to listen we're just glad to have you and if you really do want to give us money if you really insist we got a couple ways you can do that you can go to paypal.me slash lions of liberty and give a one-time donation you can also go to lionsofliberty.com slash donate for all sorts of ways you can donate through various cryptocurrencies you can also join our patreon for access to live streams bonus audio content bonus video content uh, bonus shows with guests all sorts of extra extra fun that you get in return for joining the lions of liberty pride on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash 
Lions of Liberty. Next week, we're going to have a little bit more of the conversation on immigration for you. I'm actually going to run a uh, conversation Brian and I had as an exclusive live stream for the Lions of Liberty Pride about the immigration issue. Uh, We had that conversation about a month ago. That is going to run here next week along with uh, a a podcast that we recorded live at a L.A. Libertarian County Party. I think I said those words in the wrong order. Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County event that we did out here uh, with Adam Kokesh a few weeks ago. So we're going to be running some of that for you as well. And until then, folks, don't forget to tune in on Wednesday for Brian McWilliams and Electric Liberty Land. And of course, wrap things up on Friday with Odie and Felony Friday. And until next week, kids, live long and live free.